about when you look at heaven? What do you think about in your mind, heaven? What is happening in heaven? Are my loved ones in heaven? What are they doing now? Well, the script, the Bible doesn't give us too many glimpses into heaven. There's a few. But the greatest place we could look if we want to know what's going on into heaven, in heaven right now, is in Revelation chapter 4. Turn there with me in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 4. I want to look at the clearest picture we have of heaven in the Bible. The vision of heaven the Lord gave John in the Revelation. Revelation 4. And let's just bow for a moment and pray and ask God to bless His Word and, and uh, open our hearts to it, to what He would say to us. And we'll forego reading that, but I'll share it with you as I share a few thoughts from Revelation 4 and I bring the message. Pray so grow kingdom revelation. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this time in the Word, our hearts have been, Lord, have been opened through the beautiful music we've heard to remind us of how good you are to us. What a friend we have in you. Lord, you are a wonderful Savior. You're a wonderful God. You created us, but you love us, and you prepared a place for us that when this life is over, we have so much more ahead of us. We thank you, Lord, that we're with you now, and you'll always be with us. And one day we'll see you in your kingdom, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to be in Revelation, and we're going to start a study in the Revelation about the things that are going to take place as we see the return of Christ uh, nearing. And uh, the book of the Revelation was written by the Apostle John when he was exiled by the Roman Emperor Domitian on the small rocky island called Patmos. Domitian, the Emperor Domitian, was assassinated in 96 AD, and John was released shortly thereafter. So when he re then he returned to Ephesus to live out his life. So the Revelation was written near the end of the first century. The Revelation is not revelations, as some people like to say it, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was a vision John had of the coming kingdom of Christ and the events leading up to his return, especially the events of a seven-year period between the rapture of the church and Christ coming with vengeance to set up his kingdom on earth. In chapter 4 verse 1 John said and after these things well what's he talking about he's talking about the admonitions Jesus gave to the seven churches in Asia Minor and speci specifically and to all Christians generally in the earlier parts in chapters 1 2 and 3 for instance let's take a look at look at, at a couple of those or at all of those for a moment, and what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, he said in Revelation 2, 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To the church at Smyrna, he said, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. To the church at Pergamos, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone on the, on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. To the church at Thyatira, 
and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. Then Jesus said to the church at Sardis, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will blot out his name. I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. To the church at Philadelphia, the Lord Jesus said, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. And finally to the church at Laodicea, the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ, the returning King said, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. Throne, crowns, this sounds like a kingdom, and it is a kingdom. In these instructions to the churches, Jesus carried the kingdom theme, not only to these seven churches in Asia Minor, but to, to all those who have believed since then. The revelation that we see in the Bible was not just for the people in John's day. It is the revelation of things to come. It's a kingdom revelation. So putting it all together, we can see Jesus saying to those who follow Him, the one who overcomes in this world will have a spiritual reward in my kingdom. The kingdom is the realm of Christ and the reign of Christ. It should be the same thing. The realm of Christ should be the reign, the rule of Christ, but it's not. It was when God first created the earth, but man in sin disrupted that. Today on earth, the kingdom of God is in the hearts and lives of His people. Everywhere else in the universe, the Lord reigns supreme over everything. But in the sinful hearts of people, many people, Satan is in charge. We should remember that Satan lost his position in heaven when he, as Lucifer, allowed pride to enter his heart and was cast out of heaven to become the most powerful enemy of mankind. If, if you want to see Satan's kingdom, folks, just look at the godless culture which man has created for himself. This evil that is being devised today is not logical. In fact, it's so distorted, vulgar, and illogical that it's like the actions of insane people. There's only one who could come up with such twisted evil plans today, and that is Satan himself. So the earth... They should be filled with the knowledge and glory of God is now filled with contempt for God. And that's why in order for the kingdom of Christ to come, there is going to have to be a terrible annihilation of evil and those who practice evil during a seven-year period of great tribulation. And then the kingdom of God in heaven afterward can become the kingdom of God on earth. And that's the purpose of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John was given a vision that the world will, of what the world will be like when Jesus reveals himself and conquers everything. So although Jesus gave a message to seven churches in that day, that message is good for us today, especially we who are this far out, two, nearly 2,000 years after John, and we are closer to the return of Jesus than ever before. So the first thing the Lord Jesus revealed to John was a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. And it's an exciting uh, vision. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. After these things, John said, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. 
And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. So first of all, let's look at the identity of the first voice John heard. A voice as loud and clear as a trumpet or a shofar, the ram's horn. John uses the same description in chapter 1, where in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, John said, I, John, you're both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now we just saw that. We read those what Jesus said in those letters as he dictated through John. And then John said, When I heard this voice, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man stopped. When Jesus walked this earth, he walked as a man like you and I, a human being. He was God who put on flesh, he wore, he wore a body. And then, when he died on the cross, he was beaten and bruised and torn all to pieces. And then he was buried in a tomb, and he came out, he rose on resurrection day, on Sunday morning. He rose from the dead, and his body had changed, it was glorified. But when he got back to heaven, this is what he looks like. And I saw one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, his appearance, was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, to me, don't be afraid. I am the first. Read that with me. What did Jesus say? I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. John knew exactly who this was. This was the Lord, his Lord, Jesus. John loved Jesus so much, and Jesus loved John. So when John saw the one who looked like a glorious heavenly Son of Man, he found, fell down to worship Him, and he heard the voice of his Savior saying, Get up, John, there's work to do. I am He who died and rose again, and I'm alive forevermore. It was Jesus. So after Jesus called John and dictated His letter to those churches, He called to Him again, and He said in chapter 4, Come up here! Well, where is here? John said, I saw a door standing open in heaven. Who is the only one who can open heaven's door to human beings? Who is He? Jesus. And Jesus said, let's read what Jesus said. I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Christ Jesus who gives eternal life to His followers also opens the door for them to the kingdom of heaven. So after Jesus gave John the message for His church in the world, the message for the church age of which we are part right now, He then issued the call like a trumpet, Come up here to heaven with Him. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? A familiar call. Come up. 
hear a call which Paul said all the church in the past, the present, and the future, all Christians, all believers, from John's day to our day, will hear, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. That's the rapture, the catching up, the calling up of the church that John saw in Revelation 4. At that day, all the saints of God who have put their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, all the Old Testament people who look forward to the coming of Messiah and all the New Testament Christians who have received Christ as Savior will form one family in heaven. John saw them represented around the throne as 24 elders. Elders, that's an Old Testament word and the New Testament word. The Old Testament leaders of the tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. The elders are the New Testament church leaders. John said in Revelation 4, 2 through 5, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had, on, they had crowns of gold upon their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. No human eye had ever been privileged to see inside the heavenly throne room of God before. The Scriptures only gave glimpses of the kingdom. But here John sees the glory and majesty of Almighty God. Not in a burning bush like Moses saw Him, but in His divine, in His divine position as the creator of all things, the king of everything. Perhaps Isaiah's vision was close to that which John saw. John saw Father God seated on His throne of sovereignty and might, radiating pure divine energy, which was reddish-orange in color. Friends, to just glimpse God in His majesty, in divine form, is the most powerful vision anyone could ever have. Few times have we seen God revealed in that kind of glory. But here, in the last book of the Bible, God revealed Himself to John so that we can get a glimpse of what heaven is like, what our loved ones are seeing today who have gone on to be with Jesus. Isaiah said, I, he said, I saw a vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim, angelic beings. Each one had six wings, with two He covered His face, with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Of course, Isaiah's vision was of the Lord in the Jerusalem temple. But the elements are the same as what John saw in heaven. God, the divine creator and judge, the father of all who have faith, is high and lifted up on a throne. Isaiah said God was high and lifted up. John said the Lord Jesus invited him to come up here. Why up? Because man has fallen so far away from God. In fact, all of creation has fallen far from what God created it to be. Sin has done this. Man's own rebellious heart has moved him far down from God. Everything about the earth has been corrupted. That's why we have all the thorns and thistles, the thorns and the briars, the weeds, the pestilence, the disease, the suffering, the famine. It's all because man failed God in the beginning. He went far away from God. That's why the earth is out of balance, because, because man fell far from what God 
had originally designed for his creation. John. So that's what happened. So a heaven is a picture of up because it's far above man or, 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 or anything that has to do with the fallen human race. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. The Bible refers to God as looking down upon men. In this world, Jesus said He came down from heaven to raise us up. The point is that the one who sits on the throne of the universe is far above anything else in the universe. He is the creator of everything. And that means He's greater than anything. And that's what John saw in the Revelation. John had to be invited up to see God. And the only invitation that would work was the invitation from Christ Jesus Himself. And that's still the way it is. The only way anyone can enter heaven and be in the presence of a holy God is through faith in the, and the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. John said, around the throne was an emerald rainbow. Let me tell you something about rainbows. They are the work of God and a sign of His covenant with man to never destroy the earth with a flood of water again. God made that covenant with Noah. It still stands. God's rainbow was high above the earth and far out of reach of man so that man could not distort His rainbow or even use it. And today, even today, the fact that the rainbow has been adopted by Certain pride groups is just another distortion of something beautiful God made and another example of how far down man has fallen from God. But in heaven, there's a different kind of rainbow, not made of light refraction, but made of the beautiful green emerald stones. In fact, God could have made this rainbow out of one giant emerald. You know, He could do that. In any event, it's the most beautiful sight any human had ever seen. Notice more. John said, verse 4, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Notice how these saints of God are clothed. They're clothed in white robes, wearing crowns of gold. Crowns are indicative of royalty, and here in heaven are the children of God, their earthly bodies of sin and death removed clothed in righteous, the righteousness of Jesus Christ and crowned to rule and reign with their king as princes and princesses of God. Dear friend, you may sometimes feel that you're not worth very much, that the world is just bared down upon you, you're beaten down, you're, you just feel dejected. Most of us feel that way at some point. But let me tell you that if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you're one of the most special people on earth because you are a son or daughter of God. You have been born again into His royal family. And one day you're going to wear a crown of gold. Now down here you may have to wear the rags of this world, the rags like worry and sickness and suffering and sin. But one day all that mess is going to be left behind when you hear your Lord Jesus saying, Come up here! And then you are going to rise and you're going to shine like Jesus and share in His glory clothed in His white, clean, blood-washed garments crowned with a crown of victory sitting on a throne before the throne of your Father in heaven and all for overcoming and remaining faithful to Him. Remember what Jesus promised His people in His letter to the church at Laodicea to Him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Hallelujah, what a wonderful Savior we have. What a good, good Father in heaven we have. A Father who never forgets us, who remembers every little thing we ever do, who will not leave us in this earthly life forever, but will translate us into His kingdom where we will share in His glory. And oh, what glory we will share. Verse 5, from the throne proceeded lightning 
lightnings, thunderings, voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. What a scene of power. The Father seated on the throne, lightning flashing around Him and peals of thunder before Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law of God. The Bible tells us God told him to show the children of Israel the importance of that moment of obeying God. He said, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God poured out His judgment upon Egypt killing their firstborn and drowning their army in order to deliver his people from bondage. Then Moses went up, when he got ready to go up to the mountain with God to get the Word of God, the Old Testament, the law. The, the Bible says it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. It smoked us, us, ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. The God we serve, friends, is a powerful God the most powerful God, the Lord of hosts. And when we see Him, when we're sitting around His throne in heaven, we're going to experience the greatest power in the universe. The children of Israel trembled at the display of God's power. And may I say the world today needs to do a little bit of trembling at God. People have lost any fear of God. They don't respect God. That's the most, this is the most disrespectful day I've ever seen. People don't have any respect for God or His church or His Word. In fact, a lot of people don't have any respect for our nation's founding, don't have any respect for our freedom, don't have any respect for our flag. I grew up, listen, I grew up when we used to respect our elders and our teachers, and our parents, and our doctors, and our nurses, and our police officers. And we didn't, and we didn't say vulgar words around ladies. We respected women. Today men and women are vulgar, and they don't care who hears them. Even little children are learning, learning terrible language. It's a sign that this world is out of control. But friends, all this is going to change. Because one day every person will stand before the God whose presence causes trembling. A God who will instill fear in the wicked, and they will tremble. You can leave God out now if you choose, but one day you will not be able to escape His vengeance. Those seven burning lamps before His throne, symbolic of His Holy Spirit, is seven is the number of perfection. That whole, the Holy Spirit of God is everywhere. He knows exactly what you do at all times. And He is keeping a record which, upon which you will give account of your sin to the one who, in whom's presence you will tremble. In fact, there's going to come a day when wicked people are scared to death in the presence of God. But those who love Jesus and follow Jesus, they won't be trembling. They will be around the throne of their Father, enjoying the presence of their Savior. The thunderous presence of God made the children of Israel tremble. But not, though, not so for those in His kingdom. Revelation 4, verse 6 through 8, But before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Imagine that in front of God's throne. You'll see it one day if you're a Christian. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Those first, the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. 
They had six wings. The four living creatures had six wings. They were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Where have we seen those creatures before? In Isaiah's vision, these were the seraphim, Isaiah said. The word, Hebrew word means burning. These powerful beings had their faces covered when Isaiah saw them. I think they had their faces covered because they didn't want to look at this wicked world. They were holy, but in heaven they are uncovered before their holy king, always proclaiming the holiness of God. What a sight to see the powerful lightning, the emerald rainbow, the fiery presence of God and His angels, all reflecting off the crystal sea before His throne. Can you imagine that? That whole kingdom is one of light and power. And then while all this is going on, while we will be sharing in this glory. Notice what happens next. Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, will you say it with me? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Hallelujah. One day when we're in the kingdom of our Father, the thing we will do most is worship Him. I don't know what else we're going to do there, but we will gladly remove our crowns and lay them down at Jesus' feet in gratitude for what He's done for us. There is no one who loves us no, more, no one who did more for us. Jesus suffered in agony upon a cruel cross. He shed His blood, He let His life drain from Him until He paid for every one of our vile sins. And then He rose up from the dead to give us eternal life so that one day He can call us up to His kingdom of heaven. Now, when we think about heaven, what is it that makes it so special for us? It's the fact for most of us, it's the fact that we can see our departed loved ones again. We write songs about it, don't we? Shall we gather at the river together that flows from the throne of God? In the sweet by and by, we will all meet on that beautiful shore. Tell mother I'll be there in answer to her prayer. Will the circle be unbroken? And a host of other songs, both old and new. Heaven is the place where we will see loved ones who have followed Jesus but it's the place where we will have victory over death. It's the place where, we, where the pain of loss will be comforted. So let's face it. Often when we think of heaven, it's about us, isn't it? It's about restoring our loss. But folks, that's not what heaven is about. In this rare glimpse into heaven, John shows us that the focus of heaven is not on those 24 elders. It's not on the Old Testament or the New Testament saints. It's not even on, upon the church, the bride of Christ. The focus is upon the one who made it all, the one on the throne, God. Is it going to be wonderful to see mama and daddy again, grandmother and grandfather and children? Yes, and husbands and wives. Yeah. But they're not, that, their, their focus is not on you and you getting there. Their focus is on the one who sits on the throne because that's, when we get to heaven, that's all that's going to matter. When we get to the kingdom of heaven, we will worship our king. Our king, the king of kings, King Jesus. Because in heaven, we'll not have a selfish thought. We'll not have a prideful motive. All that's going to be done away with so that we can have real worship. What, what we do 
down here where we whether down here we sing or we choose not to sing, we praise or we choose not to praise, we serve or we choose not to serve, we give or we choose not to give, we worship or we choose not to worship. Folks, that's not going to happen in heaven. In heaven, we're going to give him our best. And they took off their crowns. We will take those crowns off our heads. And we will lay them down at the feet of Jesus. So if we have all that for which to look forward, folks, then what difference should this make in our lives right now? What difference? That's our kingdom principle. Let's read it together. Ready? As we wait for our Father's call to His heavenly kingdom, we should live every moment of our earthly lives to honor Him. You know, I think we should start acting like the children of God down here, the children we are. Not waiting till heaven to honor Him, but honoring Him now. Every child of God should make sure we do three things, or six, six things. We ought to listen to His voice in prayer, in prayer and His Word every day. We ought to give Him praise every day. We ought to offer Him our service every day. We ought to honor Him with our words and actions every day. We ought to use our energy and resources for His kingdom every day. Those five things we ought to do every day as the children of the King of Kings. And that means what? It means we ought to give our tithes and offerings to help someone else. It means we ought to find some way to use our talents to serve Him. It means we ought to sow those kingdom seeds. Say, God bless you to somebody. Speak the name Jesus again. Get the good news out to this world every day. Our future in heaven is not going to be about us. It's going to be our, about our Heavenly Father. How much of your life now, think, how much of your life right now is about Him? I read a really neat story. It said the call to worship had just been pronounced starting Easter Sunday morning. In an East Texas church, they were having an Easter service, and the choir started its processional singing, Up from the grave he arose, and they marched in perfect step down the center aisle to the front of the church. The last lady was wearing shoes with very slender heels. Without a thought for her fancy heels, she marched toward the grating that covered the hot air register in the middle of the aisle, and suddenly the heel of one shoe sank into the hole in the register grate. In a flash, she realized her predicament. Not wishing to hold up the whole processional without missing a step, she slipped her foot out of that shoe and just kept walking down the aisle. There wasn't a hitch. The processional moved with clock-like precision. The first man after that woman spotted her situation. Without losing a step, he reached down and pulled up her shoe. But the entire grate came up in his hand. Surprised, he just kept going. He just kept singing. Going down the aisle, holding in his hand the shoe and the grate. Everything still moved like clockwork, still in tune and still in step. The next man in line stepped into the open register and disappeared from sight. The service took on a special meaning that Sunday. For just as the choir ended with, Hallelujah, Christ arose, a voice was heard from under the church shouting, I hope all of you are out of the way because I'm coming out now. The little girl closest to the aisle shouted, Come on, Jesus, we'll stay out of the way. Folks, the fact that we're going to heaven shouldn't mean that we stand back to watch and see what happens. It means we should live for Jesus now, doing everything in our, with our earthly ability to bring honor to Jesus now. 
For by honoring Jesus, we definitely plant those seeds that could help somebody else get into his kingdom. And really, just think about it. Don't you really want everybody you know to get to this beautiful place where you're going? That ought to be our desire because that's Jesus' desire. That we all get to heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Let's bow. While our heads are bowed, I'm going to ask you again. If you're going to heaven, is that not the most important thing in all the world to you? I mean, I can't think of anything more important. I might live a hundred years, but I'm gone. But I will live eternity there. So it seems to me like living for what's ahead is far more important than just living for this day and time. I ought to be doing something for Jesus that's going to make a difference in somebody's life for eternity. Maybe it's like, you know, adopting one of these little children. They'll hear about Jesus. Maybe it's about getting involved and being a part of our church family and saying, I want to do something for Jesus. I'll, talk to me about it. I'll try to help you. Maybe you need Jesus in your heart and life. You're not even sure you're going to heaven. I hope you will. I hope you wouldn't miss that. But you can't get there on your own. You can't be a good boy or a good girl. or You can't give enough money to some, some charity. That's not the way it works. You have, to, you have to follow Jesus in this life. If you're not following Him, why don't you pray and ask Him to be your Savior, to come into your heart and life, to give you new life, eternal life, and make a, and a new desire to do what's right. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I wasn't there, but I believe it. Something inside tells me all this is true. I believe you rose from the dead. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I'm a mess. Please forgive me. Please come into my life and make a new person out of me. I've not been following you, Jesus. But I want to follow you from this day forward. So right now, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and my Lord and my King. And I'm going to submit my life to you and I will follow you the rest of my life. And Jesus, while I'm following you, will you help me lead somebody else to you and to heaven? Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, that's the greatest thing you could pray. You've got to put some legs with that faith. You just can't say, I'm a Christian. You have to be a Christian. You have to live as a Christian, as a child of God. And I, I'll be glad to pray for you while we're singing. The cameras will be off if you want to walk down and speak to me. Or you can speak to me out the door or give me a note or something. I'll be glad to contact you and encourage you and help you to grow in your faith. And the first thing that could happen, you need to just get in a good church and follow God. Just be where you can hear the truth. Lord, today it's a special day because we have worshipped. Boy, have we worshipped. We have had a jam-packed service, and I'm glad we completed it because I believe you wanted every bit of it. And Lord, I pray today that every one of us will live our lives now to make a difference for eternity. And whatever it is you want us to do, Lord, speak to us and make it clear like a trumpet sound 
that we'll know exactly what we need to do for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Steve, let's sing. Stand with us as we sing, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Savior and Lord of my life, my hope, my glory, my all. Wonderful Master, in joy and in strife, on Him you too may call. Jesus is Lord.